Welcome to St James, a Scottish Episcopal Church in Leith. This podcast is an edited recording from our Sunday morning service held on August the 6th, 2023. For news and information and to find out how to join us, please visit www.stjamesleith.org.uk. standing for our confessions. Trusting in God's forgiveness, let us in silence confess our failings and acknowledge our part in the pain of the world. Come home to yourselves and to each other. May all that is unfree in you be released and may you blossom into a future graced with love. Amen. Amen. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to the Father. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to the Father. To God be glory forever. Genesis is found in chapter 32. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, He struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, 
for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. It's a reading from Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. This is the gospel, good news for all. Loving God, like Jacob, help us 
to come to you with desire, with persistence, and help us to be transformed as individuals and as a community increasingly into Christ's nature, increasingly into a community of compassion and love. Amen. So in my training uh, as a priest, the words calling and vocation were commonly used. And uh, through time, I've come to realize that uh, calling, not just to become a priest, but a nurse or a writer or whatever it may be, is uh, much more specific, that God has created us uniquely and that we've each uh, been given uh, unique life experiences that no one else has had and unique uh, gifting that actually goes on beyond any generic job description. And that to find out this calling uh, is often a lifelong thing. Uh, we need to continually work uh, at it. And for me, it, and I'm still working at it, uh, it's something to do with uh, the word transformation. Um, I'm always fascinated by people who've undergone or are undergoing some form of transformation and change. I love learning about what, what are the key points, what are the stories, what are the events in uh, their lives that have led to a change uh, or a, a, a transformation or a development or growth. And I found that these take many forms, from very gentle words of encouragement to major life-changing events to numinous experiences uh, in nature, to friendships, all sorts of things. Uh, and along the way, I've learned that whenever I've been called to facilitate a transformation that's outside of myself, it always, I always have to start with my own transformation. I have to attend to my uh, transformation uh, within me. I have to, with God, as St. Paul says, try and work out my salvation, my transformation, my healing with fear and trembling. And secondly, I've understood that God is utterly, utterly invested and committed to our transformation. It's right at the top of God's list of priorities. And I believe this is at the heart of genuine prayer. It's less about us changing something through prayer. I'm sure that happens. Uh, prayer is still a mystery to me, um, why some prayer works, why uh, others aren't heard. But I think prayer is ultimately about us engaging with God and about our change, changing us so that our heart will then act and we might be part of the transformation uh, that we are praying about. And I also think uh, God's committed to equipping us so that we can fulfill our life potential, realize our life's work. I think Danielle, uh, in her book, uh, Remarkable Leadership, called it to find our deep purpose. What is it? What is our deep purpose that we're here to do? So I want to look at our Old Testament reading, which is one of my favorites, where Jacob 
uh, undergoes a radical transformation and to look at the set of conditions and maybe characteristics that facilitated this uh, radical transformation. By the end of it, his name, his name is changed, and that's hugely significant in, in the uh, Hebrew Bible. If your name is changed, your whole personhood is changed. It's not just uh, a switch of name. It's much, much bigger than that. But before I do, I want to describe a program that I watched. It was a while ago uh, called Brat Camp. Does that, did anyone ever watch a program called Brat Camp? It must be me, it must be one of my guilty uh, pleasures. Um, but in this, one, this particular program, there were a number of extremely difficult uh, teenage girls. Now, I have taught uh, behaviorally difficult uh, young people, but I think these girls would have certainly eaten me for breakfast uh, if I was their teacher. And they're taken to a camp in America so that their uh, behavior, so some transformation behavior can be changed. And in this program, after about three or four months, the girls return home, and it's clear that an utter amazing transformation has, has taken place. For the first time in years, they run home to their parents' arms instead of running away. They run home with tears of joy. Uh, they return home and begin to appreciate things that they've taken for granted, like their own bedrooms and space, uh, about the food in the fridge, all these little things. They're able to express their emotions towards their family without the usual aggression. And they began to take responsibility for their actions instead of constantly blaming others. So they became motivated. One of the girls who struggled to make it out of bed in the mornings was training for a marathon. Another was pl planning to return to Utah where, uh, this, uh, where they went to help girls like her. Certain addictive patterns were broken, including dependency on drugs. And the girls seemed to be proud of themselves. They seemed to uh, like themselves for the first time. They um, had a greater sense of who they were and in relation to one another. They no re longer regarded themselves as the center of the universe, but part of their family, part of their school, part of the community. Uh, and how did this incredible transformation take place uh, within three or four months? And actually, the process is a well-worn process and similar pattern to the initiation ceremonies and rites of passage that have occurred in various cultures all over the world and throughout history. Mainly, actually, young men, because uh, communities felt that young men, unless they made this change from adolescence to manhood, they would be uh, their sort of competitive drive, um, their aggression, would be channeled wrongly and that they would be disruptive to the, to the community. So these rites of passage were created and the, uh, the young women had different rites of, of passage. But the key was to take uh, the initi initiates um, out of their familiar environment, away from their home and community. In other words, out of their comfort zones and place them in what uh, anthropologists call liminal space a place betwixt between uh, when you've left one place and you've not yet uh, let, reached another. And it was a place where role and status uh, are often uncertain, where control and certainties are diminished. 
And the space is often in nature where there's something, a sense of the individual not being the center of the world, but being part of something bigger. And then in this liminal space, some kind of symbolic death is experienced. The initiate is led to the edges of their normal resources, rendered powerless, stripped of any false illusions, and taken down to their core self. And it uh, often takes the form of extended times uh, of solitude, silence, and sometimes fasting. All experiments in powerlessness, surrender, under stimulation, and under performance. And then a new life seems to emerge, uh, and when ready, uh, the initiate is integrated back into the community. And here, the interior change that's happened within them is honored by the community, and they're given a new status, often a new name like Jacob, given new dignity and authority. And always in these traditional cultures, this precious, deep, deep transformation is something that is given, not earned. The, a sense of it's a higher power, whatever the communities called it, uh, God, Yahweh, um, a higher power, it's grace that has been given and not earned. And the girls in uh, what's called this Brat Camp, an unfortunate name, but followed this pattern. They left the comfort and security of parents, friends, home, and spent time in the wilderness of Utah where they had to uh, spend extended times on their own with a small demarked uh, area. They literally created this area. I think a few weeks ago I talked of my own experience on retreat where I demarked an area and I had bluebells to the right and um, nettles to the left and, uh, and it was a really, really powerful experience, probably more powerful than any of my sort of years of academic training. I still have my notebook uh, where I wrote the things that I learned and um, someone after the service, um, I won't name who, but they of a heretical nature I might mention. Uh, <laughs> I can see you, Richard, at the back, uh, Elspeth. They said, wouldn't it be a good idea? We could maybe try that at St. James. And I thought, yeah, if we could send everyone out to the Pentlands or some isolated place for a day and then come back and share our stories. You wonder what transformation might occur. Um, I'll leave that with you. Uh, but uh, an interesting thought, actually, is that it's not, it wasn't ever part of my own priest training, this idea of going away, finding uh, space to be with God and hearing God. And this process is what occurs in our Old Testament story, where there is an utter transformation of Jacob's life. In the story, Jacob starts by letting go of everything for a time. All his possessions and his family are sent across the river or stream while he stays behind. And no doubt fearing to make the crossing because his brother Esau, who he perceives as hostile, occupies the land on the other side. So Jacob is left alone without the very things that give him security, comfort, status, and a sense of well-being, full of fear and worry a liminal space ripe for encounter with the divine. And in this place, Jacob wrestles with an angel or with God, a process of 
huge physical and emotional effort, full of tears and sweat and physical closeness, where every sinew is focused and engaged. And one word you could describe this encounter is struggle. And what an encounter with God, so different from how we are taught to come to encounter God in prayer, where we often conduct our prayer life in the same way as our social relations, approaching God in a polite, rather formal way, often rather reticent and apologetic, minding our P's and Q's, if you like. And here we have no formality, reticence or politeness. Instead, there is struggle, a ferocious, persistent desire for God to respond and bless. And that theme is constant throughout the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament, where people really you know, knock, knock on the door, uh, they're really, really praying with all their might. And after a long struggle, Jacob is absolutely exhausted and at the end of his resources, and his hip socket is wrenched or dislocated. And at this point, a change occurs in Jacob, and he becomes aware of his dependency on this other figure, this other man, this angel, or uh, potentially God. He is no longer struggling, and he finally surrenders, but at the same time, tenaciously hangs on for a blessing. He won't stop until he receives it. And the sheer affront and bloody-mindedness of Jacob is potentially shocking, but God honors him. Jacob is not only blessed, but changed. He is no longer Jacob, but Israel, denoting an utter transformation and enlargement of his life in both his character and vocation. So it is, it's a classic rites of passage story whereby a person is taken away from their usual place in their community with its comforts and security, isolated and taken to the very limits of their resources. And they come back to the community different, changed, with new authority, new status, and a new vision. And it tells us, uh, to those of us who find the Christian life a struggle, these passages say it, that struggle does not indicate backsliding or a weak faith, but an opportunity of growth, of freedom, of a new you, of transformation. If we keep persevering, keep going back to God for answers, forget the politeness, be a pain in the backside if you like, and don't let go until blessing is received. God honors Jacob's struggle because it shows a deep desire to know God and a holy dissatisfaction with the way things are, with ourselves and the situation around us. And which is why I asked the music group to sing the U2 song, we, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, which has that sense of dissatisfaction, of there's more to come from God. And Jacob's struggle with God requires courage, honesty, boldness, persistence, tenacity, but most importantly, a deep trust that God is in some way the answer to his problems. And time spent in this struggle leads to the surrendering 
surrendering of his ego, and out of the struggle and surrender comes a new, enlarged life and purpose. And throughout the Bible, we have numerous examples of people in this transformational liminal space, which is often characterized by uh, struggle and surrender. You think of the, the prophets, of Job, the psalmist. And Jesus himself spent time alone in the desert with angels and wild beasts, struggling with God, himself and Satan. And again, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prays in anguish with sweat like drops of blood falling to the ground, asking, please take this cup away from me. And by morning, Jesus surrenders to God's will and he's ready to follow the way of the cross. So it should be no surprise that struggle and liminal space is part of our Christian lives. And these kind of times can be difficult because we often feel empty and useless. And if you're like me, you create numerous ways to avoid liminal space by being quick, efficient, successful, goal-orientated, all important things at times. Because during the, during the times when I'm not goal-orientated, I often feel useless because I'm not doing, I'm not achieving, I'm not producing, I'm not earning. And all those, these times can feel empty and difficult without purpose. If we stay there long enough, they can be extremely valuable and transformative, the ultimate teachable space. And often we don't need to search for this liminal space. Life throws it upon us, whether it's the loss of a loved one, the loss of one's health, the loss of one's jobs. It's, this can lead us into this place. But I do believe, uh, and, and if, if you're in that place, then there's no need to seek liminal space. It, it just comes upon us. But I do believe that there, are, there is a point to actually integrate into our lives uh, something that breaks into our sense of uh, practicality and function from time to time, and to set aside time to be still, to wait, to be. In other words, a contemplative prayer time and that if we do that it also helps us when life throws at us these difficult times and these are times where we stop being at the steering wheel and we allow God a chance to speak into our busy lives and to uh, directly challenge us and direct us and all religions have understood the importance of liminal space. Ramadan for, for Muslims, dream time for Aborigines, sweat lodges for American Indians, Lent retreats and pilgrimages for Christians. I think Holy Saturday is a classic liminal space at Easter where it feels like nothing is happening. You have Good Friday and Easter Sunday, but it's hugely significant, important space. And the Sabbath for the Jews, an understanding that if we do not have at least one day of being, of stopping, of resting, of celebration, of presence to God and one another, then the other six days will be spent caught up in human doings that have little depth, meaning, or final effect. And so similarly, Jesus was always leading his disciples into liminal, transformative space. He would go into hostile territory, Samaria, withdraw from the crowds, and seek solitude. 
And in our gospel this morning, he was drawn in a boat across Galilee to get away from the crowds and get quiet and respite. But unfortunately, the crowds follow him, disturbing this restorative time. And the disciples understandably say to Jesus, no doubt seeing his exhaustion, this is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And really it seems perfectly reasonable for Jesus to say yes. I need to watch for burnout. I need to rest and restore so that I can help another day. But instead, Jesus has compassion on them. And often the direct transfer, uh, translation is that his guts were churned or twisted. And he replies, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And I believe Jesus is teaching them that compassion overrides everything whether it be the Jewish laws uh, like healing on the Sabbath, eating with tax collectors, engaging with uh, Gentiles, or utter exhaustion. He sees our need and responds. Jesus teaches us that compassion for those we encounter is central to everything uh, he is about and central to our uh, transformation. That our guts should be so churned that we, when we see people going hungry or in need, we should respond. He is building a community of compassion. And I heard a frightening statistic from the Trussell Trust uh, a few days ago. And the Trussell Trust are involved in, I think, over half the food banks uh, in Britain. And they said that one in seven people in this country or in the UK experience some sense of food insecurity. And that rises to one in four with minority ethnic groups. And I think Jesus' response to this would be, you go and feed them with what you have. No transaction, no needing to convert or anything. Just respond to their physical need. So I think the heart of our transformation as a community as we seek how to use our building is to increasingly participate in becoming a compassionate community. I believe we already are a compassionate community, but it's that continual transformation. And to use our gifts and creativity and energy to that end, to come out of our comfort zones and allow our guts to be churned so that good intentions become right action and we give food for the hungry, companionship to the lonely, warmth to those suffering from cold, a voice for the voiceless, and a welcome to the marginalized. And my prayer is that we all participate in this continuing transformation to increasingly build a community of compassion. Amen. The response for this morning's prayers is taken from the psalm again. It's verse 18. And when I say, the Lord is near to all who call on him, please respond with, to all who call on him in truth. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. 
We are God's people and we have been given God's spirit. So let us pray for all the people of God in Christ and for all the people in the world. We pray for our world where people are wrestling with the consequences of war and oppression. God be with those who are fighting against injustice, bigotry and dominance. Continue to be with those who are fighting in Ukraine and we pray that there may soon be a just solution found that will end that war. Be with the innocent victims and the injured, the suffering, the grieving, on both sides of that conflict. We pray again that you will lead your world to peace and lead the nations of the earth to find better ways of resolving conflict. We also continue to remember those who have become refugees to keep themselves and their families safe as they travel to uncertain and unknown futures. Be with the leaders of all countries that they may seek the common good of all people and not just to seek glory for themselves. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Creator God, your world is wrestling with climate change where some people have no water and others have too much, where some people are enduring extreme heat and others have too much rain, where some have not enough to eat because of failing crops, and yet there are others who have too big a choice of things to eat. We pray for those today who will not know where, how they are going to feed their families or give them fresh clean water to drink. We pray that you will break our hearts with the things that break yours, that we will be willing to become the answers to our prayers for our world in whatever way we can to stop your wonderful world from destruction. Waken us up from our apathy to wrestle with those who do not seem to care and who put profit before people's lives and well-being. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. <clears throat> Caring God, we pray for all those who wrestle with powers and authorities on our behalf. We pray that you will give them wisdom and integrity as they speak to move government officials from doing what their party wants to really representing the people they have been elected to serve. We pray for those working for the homeless, for those addicted, those with disabilities, for those who are transgender and for those who long for equal marriage in the churches they attend, for any who make up the marginalized and ignored in our society and in the world. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Bless and help those who are sick, in need, or who are suffering. We pray for them as they wrestle with the changes that being ill or poor brings to their lives. And we bring those people we know to God in a moment of silence. The Lord is near to all who call on him, 
to all who call on him in truth. We pray for ourselves as we wrestle with our own problems in our daily lives. Give us perseverance to keep on going when life gets tough and there are decisions to be made or when we can't see the right way to go. Grant us perseverance like Jacob to stand steadfast in our convictions, to hold on and wrestle with the truths we face. Grant us wisdom to know the difference between stubbornness and perseverance. Help us see when it's time to stand firm and when it is time to humbly move on, to make amends and to be reconciled. Grant us the strength and will to persistently respond to the needs of our world through a kind word, a helping hand, a demand for justice, a healing touch, a witness to the love of Jesus. Grant us perseverance and peace in all we do. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him And there's, I just want to finish with a, a, a bit of a, a song that I heard last week. Um, lay down the armour you brought to the fight. Lay down your weapons. Lay down your strife. God's <clears throat> on your side and he won't let you go. He already loves who you are. Won't ask you to be something more. So we ask our prayers in the name of Jesus.
to love and serve God. In the name of Christ, Amen.